This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. As our text, though we'll look at other verses as we study. And here's what the Bible says. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for what we've already heard this morning. And Lord, we ask you now to help us in this preaching time. We've gathered here because we are needy people. We don't have it all figured out. And every day, no matter how long we've been saved, it's a day of growth and learning. It's a day of surrendering. And Father, I pray that you would teach us now something this morning that will help us as we serve you. Lord, we, we want to serve you all of our lives. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. The landmark verse that I read for my text is set in a passage that begins with Paul giving a command to a young preacher, Timothy. Verse 1 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. It seems that Paul has Christ's appearing on his mind as he writes these, and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. You and I need to remember something about the Apostle Paul when he writes these words. When he writes these words, he is in prison again. This is his second imprisonment under Nero. And very likely, this is not a house arrest. This is most likely in the Mamertine prison there in Rome. God's privileged me to be able to stand on that site and see that site. And really, when you take it in, it kind of colors what Paul is saying and how he's saying it. If you stand at that Mamertine that is known as the rat's nest, a filthy, horrible place, if you look up to your right, you see that great Circus Maximus where they would literally have the chariot races. And sometimes we glorify that and we forget that many of those chariot races were having believers stretched out at differing points on the track and and, and no doubt Paul would hear the cheers of that crowd as believers' families and believers were uh, just trampled by the, hor- the horse's hooves and by the wheels of those chariots. And, and as he sat, he would hear the scream of the believers and the cheers of those crowds. If you looked over to your left, what would be maybe a three-city block distance, was the Great Colosseum. And no doubt when Paul was sitting in that Mamertine prison and 
they were having uh, some kind of spectacle at the Colosseum, he would also hear the cheers of those crowds and, and the screams perhaps of those who were being dismembered by the animals that they would set loose on them or being pierced by the swords of the gladiators and the bloodlust of that crowd would go up and, and the screams of those saints would go up. And as Paul is sitting in this jail cell, it's, it gives meaning to when he says, for I am now ready to be offered in verse 5. And the time of my departure is at hand. As a matter of fact, as I read those words, I am, I am simply astounded at his calm assurance. I'm amazed at, at his manliness and courage and faith that in that place and in this moment of his life, he can speak those words. Nero was such a vile man. And he's under arrest now because Nero has had him arrested. Nero was a man who lusted for power so much that he murdered his own mother. He murdered his own brother so that he could accede to the throne. Literally, this persecution that Paul is in right now was started because Nero wanted a certain house and land on Palatine Hill, the, the elite uh, place in Rome, and he was refused it. The man wouldn't sell it, and so he burnt it down. I don't know if he fiddled while Rome burned, but it is true that he was part of the fire that was set in Rome. He was such a vile man that literally, it's true, he would put Christians on a pole and illuminate his, his parties with them on fire. Now, I don't say all of that to just be tantalizing. I say all of that because the Apostle Paul sits in that jail cell ready to be offered and he's looking forward to that time when he stands before the Lord. I get all of that, but in that scene, he turns to a young man and challenges him to follow in the same path that landed Paul in that rat's nest prison, ready to lose his head. And he says, Timothy, you preach the word. And you preach it in season and out of season. And don't you back up even when the times are difficult and persecution is there. And you know what Paul realized? There are just some things more important than an easy life. There are some things that are more important than the applause of men. And it may actually bring you into conflict with authority. And I'm not trying to just be a fighting fundamentalist, but I am trying to be a faithful one. And Paul says, listen, there are some things that are worth more than what this stinking world has to offer. He says in verse 8, let me tell you what it is. He says, I'm going to stand before the Lord. And he's got something for me. He's laid it up for me. And it is a crown of righteousness. And I'm waiting for that judge, that Lord, to give it to me. My friend, I'm not a young man anymore. And the desire of my life and I mean this sincerely, not just rhetoric and preaching. I simply want to please the Lord. Amen. Amen. That's right. I, I simply want Him to be pleased with 
with the life that he's allowed me to live. I, for one, was not saved as a child. I was saved as a 23-year-old young man with a wife and children. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. My father got saved when he was 63 years old from a soul winner that went by the door. And even though they did not raise us to be believers, when they got saved, my mother and father dedicated themselves to seeing us saved. And long story short, they were sneaky about it, but they got us before a soul winner. And we trusted Christ as our Savior. And and, and all I'm saying is, hey, I remember life before Jesus, do you? And I don't want it. And I know life after Jesus. And man, it's a good deal. And he who gave so much for us deserves our all. And Paul says, henceforth there is laid up for me. There's something that I'm looking forward to. And I'm looking past the screams in the Colosseum. That may be my end. And he said, I'm looking past... The, the lusty cheers up in the Circus Maximus, that may be my end. But he said, I'm looking beyond all that to that day when I stand before the Lord. And he gives us three simple thoughts to guide us in that journey to that time when we stand before the Lord. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, he says, we have to reach for that crown before we grasp it. Number two, he says we have to obey the will of God before we are rewarded for obeying the will of God. And number three, we have to occupy before the appearing of the Lord. Notice those three thoughts. Paul says we have to reach before we grasp. He says, henceforth, the literal meaning of that word is there's something remaining. Because of that which has gone before, there's something that remains in Paul's life. And what remains in Paul's life is that standing before the Lord and having that crown handed to him by the Lord, if I can say it literally, that crown of righteousness. Paul is reaching for faithfulness in serving the Lord because it precedes grasping the crown that the Lord will give him. Long ago, Paul had made a decision. He had made a decision that even though he had much that could have been of meaning in this life, it held no meaning once he met Jesus Christ. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He could have been the top of the lawyers. He could have had a career in the politics of of the Jews. He, He could have named his price as a Pharisee. And yet when he met Jesus Christ on that Damascus road, all that had seemed so vital and so important became as dung to the Apostle Paul. It was something not worth having. And the passion of his life became to know the Lord, to know Him intimately, not just to have a handshake of salvation, but to know His heart and to know His mind and to walk in His steps and to live life even as He had lived life. He sums it up in three statements. Look at them in verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have 
fought a good fight. The Christian life is pictured often as a warfare in this same epistle, and I won't turn there for the sake of time, but go back to chapter 2, and he says to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier. Listen, I'm, I'm not trying to be combative. I, I, I don't love that spirit, but I do want to remind all of us that if we think we are going to minister the gospel in this world and not come up and find conflict and, and, and find those who are enemies to the gospel, we're just deceiving ourselves. We are not going to walk through this life as believers and, and just never have times where we don't have to endure where we don't have to, to put on the armor and actually go through conflict. And I think that sometimes we paint a false picture for men that are entering the ministry or for believers. Hey, the truth is, it can be difficult. We live in an area where there are many veterans. I pastored, I was telling someone, four miles from the front gate of Quantico. And, and for 37 years at Heritage, I pastored a lot of Marines. And I have an incredible respect for them. I'll tell you, I respect the Navy corpsman who walks beside them. Uh, you say, preacher, why are you saying that? Because... Those were men who understood that their calling as a Marine meant they might have to kick a door down. And if they were in Fallujah, there might be a terrorist behind that door. And they still had to follow what their calling was and what their order was and what their command was. And all I'm saying is, is that if we want to reach that point where we are receiving the crown from the hand of Jesus Christ, then understand from time to time there are going to be battles and we are going to have to endure hardness. It means our wives are going to have to endure hardness. Hey, listen, it's tough to go through a battle. It is just horrible to watch your wife have to go through it. Hey, it's tough for you and your wife to go through a battle. Raise your three babies and watch them have to struggle with the same fight because daddy's name is pastor. And there's nothing that can take it away. We're not going to just have ease and it's not all going to be love and Joel Osteen smile. I can't even do it. I know my hair looks like his, but... I'm not glad of it. I don't celebrate it. But I'm telling you, there's something more important than those moments. And you and I, if we ever want to experience that moment when we stand before the Lord at His peering and, and He has that crown for us, we are going to have to say to ourselves, I will stand in those days of battle. I will endure hardness. I will not run. Paul says not only is it a battle to be won, it's a race to be run. He says, I have finished my course. Sometimes I think we believe that the race to be run is a sprint. And it is not a sprint. It's a marathon. I remember thinking to myself when God called me to start Heritage, man, this is the 
and I'm not trying to discourage you church planters, I thought to myself, this is going to be the hardest thing that any human being has ever accomplished. And to be honest with you, it wasn't easy, but I look back at now and say, well, that was pretty joyous, you know. And then I was 10 years in, I said, well, how do we get off this plateau? And then you're 15 years in and you say, well, how do we build that building? And then you're 20 years in and you say, uh, how do I put up with these old people? And then when you're an old person, you said, what in the world do I do with these young people? <laughs> and, and I'm simply saying to you that, that the race is not, woo, three years and done. It's for life. I used to be a jogger. I will never say I was a runner. I was a jogger plotter. I ran three miles five days a week. I quit when two 70-year-old women power walked past me. But I'm just telling you the truth that when I ran, I ran for years. And I kept saying to myself, well, this will get easier at some point. And every day, running about the same three miles, I would have to say to myself, be a man. Put one foot in front of the other and don't you quit. And I'm just suggesting to you that there are times in the ministry where, man, it is hard. It is tough. It is opposition. We don't see the end. We feel abandoned and isolated alone. And honestly, as Christian servants, we've got to say, put one foot in front of the other. And do not walk away. And do not surrender to a bitter, angry spirit. Keep moving for the Lord. I love what he says then. He says, not only have I fought the battle, not only have I finished my course, but he said this, I've kept the faith. Say, what do you think he meant by that, preacher? I think it meant that he ran his race according to the will of God. And he used spiritual tools and, and walked in spiritual ways. I think it means that he loved and he exhorted, and he rebuked, but he was patient and apt to teach, and he was long-suffering, and he was meek, and he was humble, and he stayed in the will of God. Listen, one of my great fears for this generation of young preachers, and let, me, let it serve as a warning to us today, we no longer ask the question, is it biblical? We ask the question, does it work? And Paul said, I'm not going to do it because it's expedient. I'm not going to do it because it, it's in a program that it worked for somebody else. I'm, I'm always going to ask myself the question, is it biblical? Is it what God would have me to do in this place? And he kept the faith. He kept it in the rails of faith. And so when he came to the end, and he's sitting in that jail cell, and he knows Maybe the next time he hears his name, it's a trip to the Colosseum, the circus, or as we know, outside of town where they quietly dispatched him. He could say, you know what? I fought a good fight. And I finished my course. And I kept the faith. And you know, I'm excited. I don't mean to overstate it or, or, or make it small, but he said, I'm excited because there's still something waiting for me. 
And it's not a rat's nest cell. It's the appearing of my Savior and a crown in His hand. Now, not only that, but He said, secondly, I've got to obey because if I don't obey, I don't get rewarded. We've spoken much of Paul's effort and his commitment, but let's be very careful to understand this. He was not a superior human being. Can I say that again? That goes against the grain, doesn't it? He, oh, maybe I should say it this way. When God scraped up clay to create Paul, he scraped up clay, the same clay to create us. Paul was a man like you and I are. You know what Paul was? Paul was a man for whom God had a plan. And Paul was a man who, when he got saved, stepped into God's plan and followed God's plan. And at the end of God's plan for Paul's life, even though it ended in martyrdom, you know what Paul would have said to us? He'd have said, well, that was my reasonable service. He wouldn't have said, man, I deserve to be lionized. I I deserve to have my picture on a wall somewhere and and take my robe that I've been preaching in and put it on display so people can say, well, that's Paul's robe. I'm not against that, just kind (laughs) of. Paul said what I did was reasonable. You know, when I got that Macedonian call and went over there and we started that church in Macedonia, that, that was reasonable. That's what God called me to do. You know, when I uh, survived that shipwreck and grabbed that wood and floated onto the island, hey, you remember when that snake bit me and I didn't die? That was reasonable. That was exceptional in my eyes, reasonable in Paul's eyes, because it was what God called him to do. And it was where God led him and what God gave him. Hey, my life is not Paul's life. God's call on my life is not the same as Paul's. Thank you, Lord. But my responsibility is to be as obedient to the will of God for my life as Paul was for his life. For a lifetime. To know what God is saying, to follow where God is leading. And that is our sole responsibility. Your responsibility is not to be like me. My responsibility is not to be like you. My responsibility is to know the will of God for my life and to hear that still small voice speaking at every stage of my life and simply say, God, where would you have me? What would you have me to do? I know in my life, when God spoke to me a few years ago and said, it's time to leave heritage, I I was sure that that was not God. I mean, I'd been there a long time. I had a very comfortable salary. It was my life. It was what I wanted. It was what I did. And God said, it's time for you to leave. I wish that I could tell you the first time God said it's time, I answered him, yes, sir. God, are you sure? And you step out and you say, yes, Lord. Because, Lord, I have a part of me who would love to build a kingdom here. (laughs) And I'm really comfortable in this on my throne. God spoke to me one day and he said, at what stage of your life 
Am I not able to ask you to live by faith? I said, there is no stage. There is no place. I'm not trying to aggrandize myself. I'm just simply saying that along this way of life, it's whenever God speaks. It's whatever God says. It's wherever God leads. Because we, in the end, will be most satisfied when we have obeyed His will and can receive His reward. Finally, I'd say this. You and I have to occupy until He appears. I love what He says in verse 8. Notice it. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me today. Oh, no, it doesn't say today. It says at that day. At that day. When will that be? What do I have to go through yet? At that day. When the master left and he left his servants, he simply said this, Occupy till I Somebody asked me, well, you're retired now. (laughs) I am. Uh, We've transitioned, but I don't know that there's any retirement. How do you retire from God's call on your life? How do you retire from God? Now, listen, I'm not saying that I have the same schedule and do the same things, but I am telling you that my, my life still wants to follow the Lord, and I still want to be used of the Lord. I want to occupy until He comes. Men, there are so many things that can distract us. Demas mentioned here just a few verses later down in verse 10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And I'm saying to you that if we want to reach that day where we receive that crown because we have faithfully walked as God led us to walk, we've done what God wanted us to do, then you and I almost have to live in our world with blinders from the world. And and when I say that, we can't get our eyes on another man's ministry or on another man's methods or on another man's success or failure. You and I have to be single-minded, single-eyed and say, Lord, it's about me and you. Where would you have me be? What would you have me do? God, I simply want eyes on you and I simply want to occupy till you come. What is the crown of righteousness? I believe it is conferred on those who will stand faithful in the battle where God has placed them, striving to the end for the cause of His holiness. Faithful where God places them, striving to the end for God's, the cause of holiness. I'm not against men moving ministries. I'm not. But I am against men who are seeking something other than the praise of God. And I'm just telling you that the Christian life is a life where God places us and we battle 
not combatively with spirits, but we battle and we stand. It is a long life lived in one direction of standing for the Lord. And I don't want my testimony to be he used to, he once did. I want my testimony to be he stood and did what God gave him to do. Because the sweetest moment of all of our existence, I believe, will be, and I don't know exactly how it will be, but I'm preaching, so stay out of my sermon. I think that moment where we stand before Jesus, and he says, well done. I mean, what you did was reasonable. It's what I gave you to do, but well done. You're a good, faithful servant, and I want you to have this. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know the greatest privilege of eternity will not be receiving it. It will be handing it back. Amen. Yeah. I fancy myself a historian, so let me give you one story. Living in Northern Virginia for so many years, surrounded by the history and especially the history of the Civil War, I was a student of the Civil War, and I know that's probably not politic these days. I'm a Yankee by birth, and I respect greatly Ulysses S. Grant. I think he was a great man. Had a problem, but he was a great man. But my favorite man on the Confederate side was a man named John B. Gordon. Gordon became governor of Georgia afterwards, senator of Georgia. He was a great Christian lecturer. He's a great Christian man. Gordon was a colonel at the time that Lee's army had marched north up the valley, and they were positioned for the, for the battle that was called Antietam. I don't know if everybody knows this, but the day of, a little bit before the battle, Lee's battle plan and placement plan fell out of his saddlebags and it was found by a Union soldier. And so McClellan, the Union general, had the entire battle plan of Lee. He knew where every brigade was. He knew where every cannon was. And that's a decided advantage. And they knew, Lee knew that it had been found. Lee knew that the weakest spot of his line was the very center. And at the very center of that line was a brigade of Georgia men under Colonel John B. Gordon. It was too late to reposition the forces. The dawn attack was coming. And so Longstreet and Lee rode to the center of the line and spoke with Colonel Gordon and said, Gordon, if if your men yield, if you give up, if you move, if you're swept away, they will come through, roll us up on both sides and head straight down the valley to Richmond and it's over. And John B. Gordon said to General Lee, he said, General, I will be here until the sun comes down or the victory is won. That morning, just an hour or so later, the attack came and literally for 12 hours, hours. The Union poured everything they had into that center place. It became known as the bloody lane, bodies stacked on top of one another. But Gordon had received a command, and Gordon had been placed in the line, and he was a man of great honor and courage, 
And he told his men, we're standing here. At about 7.30 in the morning, he was shot for the first time in the lower left leg. It didn't break a bone. It pierced the skin, went through the calf muscle, but it did not break a bone. Very unusual. About an hour later, he was shot in the thigh. Again, it did not break a bone. They put a tourniquet on his left leg, and he used his saber as a cane, and he would not leave the battle. His men had to hell hold. They had repulsed two attacks. On the third attack, he was shot in the wrist. It broke his bone. He could no longer hold the cane, his sword in that hand, so he switched it to the other hand, but he did not leave the scene. They began to cry, Gordon to the rear, Gordon to the rear, but he said, I gave my word. Two hours later, he's shot in the left shoulder. Again, they've applied tourniquets because he will not leave the field. About four o'clock in the afternoon, resting against a tree, not sitting, but resting against a tree, the sixth onslaught comes. He is shot through the mouth. It exits the other side. He falls. His hat falls down like this. And he would have drowned in his own blood, except that a bullet had pierced his hat earlier in the day and allowed the blood to leak out of his hat. You say, what are you telling us that story for? After the battle and they held, Lee visited him in the hospital and commended him for his faithfulness. And one of the things that Gordon said was, General, I want to do my duty to you and I want to do my duty to my Savior. Now, don't mix the two. He wasn't saying that fighting in that battle was his duty to the Savior. But I walk away with this. If a man can have so much honor that he will hold his place in a line of battle because of his commitment to his general, how much more committed to hold our place in the line of battle to the captain of our salvation, to the one who gave all for us. And I'm not looking for crowns from men I'm not looking for men's applause. Hey, can I, can I whisper something in your ear? If you think the world is going to applaud you for pastoring a fundamental Baptist church, you're crazy. They're going to hate you for it. And they're going to laugh at you for it. But there's something more important. There's something better. And do not trade for the applause of men or for an easier day, or for comfort. Do not trade it for that moment at His appearing in your life when He has your crown for your service in His will that you have reached for, and now you get to grasp. He is worth it all. May God help us. Father, I thank you for these few minutes you've given us. And Lord, I, I know who I'm speaking to. These are good and faithful men. But I also know that it is wearying. It is wearying. We see our families at times not having what we wish they had. We're misunderstood. 
Sometimes we're attacked verbally. We're criticized. And Lord, I'm not, I'm not trying to make the ministry sound so horrible. It isn't. It's wonderful. But there are times where we just have to endure hardness. There are times when we just have to put one foot in front of the other and will ourselves with your help to go on. And there are times when we want to respond in the flesh, but we keep the faith. Because, Lord, the greatest moment of our existence will be when we stand before you and you commend us for accomplishing your will in our lives. Help these men to have courage and strength Help their wives and their children. And God, give us all grace to stand in our place and faithful to the end. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.